Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. Hi, I'm Linda P. I uh, live in Arizona and um, really happy to be here. I um, have been in program, um, July 19th will be 22 years that I've been in program and August 19th will be 22 years of abstinence. Um, I came in at 40 and I am now 62. And um, so basically I've spent a little over a third of my life now in program, which is just an amazing thing because my life has been completely different in program. And the trajectory that I was on would have been unsustainable. I'm not sure that I would still be alive when I think about um, the medical things that I've been through um, without abstinence and without sanity, I, I don't know how I would have done it. Um, so, uh, what I was like, so I come from a, uh, kind of crazy Jewish family of seven sisters with two Holocaust survivor parents. Okay. We grew up in Chicago. Um, and, um, and basically, you know, the most, the pressure that I felt to look a certain way as a kid was mostly from my sisters. We had quite a thing going on in the family with um, who are the fat sisters, who are the skinny sisters. Then the aunts would line us all up, number one to seven, and, um, and kind of talk in Yiddish about who was going to get married. And who wasn't? And even though I didn't understand Yiddish, I understood that Yiddish. You know, I understood Yiddish of insults. Um, and I was a thin kid. I had some. I guess I, looking back, I think I had some hints of um, the disease, just like an insane chasing of the good humor truck. You know what I mean? Like, like just the, you know, people would give me food for my birthday, like my favorite snack food. Um, But, um, you know, really I was, I was skinny. I, I got asthma when I was 11 and I was really sickly. And um, my parents finally decided like to save my life, they were going to pack up and move to Arizona. So, you know, I think my sisters would have preferred that I just die rather than move. But, you know, they kind of had to go along with it. So we moved to Arizona in 1973. And um, my dad died a year and a half after that. And, you know, it's... um, I remember like there's so many creepy memories just remembering, um, you know, the funeral. And I remember I had had some weight loss because of, of the death. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm in my sister's so-and-so's clothes. Like I remember, I remember like almost like the voice of the disease just coming alive, going from being um, almost unconscious of what I looked like, like I was just some kind of a, foal or something into um, being aware. 
So, um, so anyway, so about a month later, we were all, I mean, it was a very sudden death, heart attack. And we owned a produce store in South Scottsdale. And um, I was roped in to work as a cashier once my dad died. So, you know, the days of childhood were over. And I remember one day, um, one of the local merchants bringing in something steaming hot. And, and it was like, I just remember like my brain saying, I should whip open one of those packages and just eat them all. Okay. Um, and, uh, and so that's where I remember, like, I actually remember a point, you know, I remember the moment that the obsession of craving began in my head. So, you know, the big book and the doctor's opinion tells me that the obsession begins in my head. I don't pick up food without having the thought first. Um, so anyway, so from 15 till I was 40 and came in program, basically it was, it was just the dancing around with the disease. I, um, I gained weight. I lost weight. You know, my, my upper weight kept going up and my low weight kept going up so that before I came in program, I weighed 220 pounds. Um, and I, my thin weight would have been like, if I could have gotten to 170, it would have been a miracle. I'm going to show a couple pictures and I'm sorry, I haven't quite figured out. So this is me at 19. So just four years after my disease started and I, you know, it was like, I mom, I need a whole wardrobe of fat clothes because I can't lose weight and I'm so miserable and unhappy. This is me. Don't ask why I'm singing at the Moose Lodge, but um, but Moose Lodge in Las Vegas. Um, yeah, that's me at 25. And at that point, like clothes was just to cover me up and leave the house. Okay. I had like those white pants, a couple pairs of them, just to to get out of the house closed. And then this is me right before program. I came in at 40. This is me at 38. And I was trying on dresses to go to my reunion. And I did return this one. <laughs> Just FYI. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. So um, so a lot of things happened. You know, I, I kind of always had a crazy brain and I was um I was always looking for a guy, like a boyfriend to um, make me appear normal. You know, my family, once we grew up, it was like you just married whoever you could. OK, like if you could just capture somebody or kidnap somebody like it didn't even matter. Um, it was like they're good enough. They're just good enough. OK. And the idea of, of finding somebody who was good enough was, um, you know, it made sense to me. It was like, well, nobody gets everything they want. And so I, um, I'm kind of um, very into Judaism. And I had been at that point, but I married a Catholic guy in the Little White Wedding Chapel in Las Vegas. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, it, it was like, I was just so used to not listening to my inner voice, right? There was one inner voice saying, run for your life. And one inner voice that was saying, you better get married because you need to be married. Like everybody at work is married and you don't want to be the only one who's not married because that points out your differences. Um, anyway, so um, so whatever. I mean, three years later, we were divorced. So, you know, I don't know what on earth that did for me, except that, you know, I felt like 
in some way, I was really working program before I came in program. There was, um, you know, I always had a very deep um, God relationship. Like I, I just always had an ongoing talk with God. I, you know, I came from a Holocaust survivor background. So my parents were big atheists. Um, but I just always felt the presence of God. I, I always did. And I never felt like um, I needed it to be formalized. I just, I just had a relationship with God. And when I left my ex-husband, I remember like now I would call it a step three. Okay. I remember saying, I don't care if I ever have kids. I don't care if I ever date anybody else ever again. All I care is that I leave this person. I never share oxygen with them again. And, um, and it was like leaping off a cliff. And I know now that that, that is a step three, a step three, which is letting go and letting God, you know, and, um, and not worrying about me controlling it, but just doing what I must do. And, um, so as I was in Jewish singles for a couple of years, I, um, you know, my weight would just careen. Okay. It was like, you know, I date a lot and then, um, and then, you know, there'd be a breakup and my format for getting over breakups was to order like a lot of food to be delivered and to just pick up a lot of food. And I would like lay on the couch with a cover over my head, so to speak. I did go to work. Um, and uh, that was what I thought was a pretty workable solution. And um, so anyway, so I, I did meet my second husband and we've been married almost 30 years. And, um, you know, he didn't he didn't really care about weight, which is a good thing because I gained a lot more weight after I met him. Um, you know, um, I think that, um, you know, basically I had joined a pay and way in 1988 with my sister, one of my sisters, and I had been going before I came in program. That was 12 years of going. And I had two kids and I kept getting grandfathered in to a really low weekly price. Like I was just sneaky enough to bring a doctor's note. And just like everybody else was paying $15 and I was paying eight because I was grandfathered into some old price. And, um, and basically, I never hit lifetime. Never. I, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I guess I, I came to feel like, like I had a very sophisticated thing going on here. Okay. You know, there were people who could get motivated by a last straw, or they could not fit in their jeans and just lose weight. But I wasn't like that. Okay. I had a lot of apparatus to my weight problem. You know, I was, um, I, I considered myself to be almost an expert. You know, I knew how to gain weight and I knew, um, you know, I kind of knew that my idea of how to lose weight was going on the pay and way and going back to jazzercise, you know, and pretty soon, like everything just, it just fell apart. So in February of 2020, um, I, I stopped going to the pay away and I did keep exercising, which was honestly a miracle because the two were always intertwined and I would never do one without the other. Um, and then, um, you know, I just basically felt like I can't do this again. I can't do it. And somehow I hadn't really heard of a way, but in July, 
that same sister and I were completely desperate and we were going to approach this whole problem like intellectually. So we were going to many different weight plan places in Phoenix and we were going to check them out. Okay. And actually the first one we went to was OA. There's an OA office. There was a newcomer meeting and, um, and I wanted to run out of there because I don't know, I believed in God, but seeing God up on a, on a wall, you know, with the steps and me um, kind of thinking that my dieting area, you know, like that, you know, God has nothing to do with dieting, you know, like that. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, you know, I listened to the person's story who was speaking. And the first thing that was different was that she was not thin. She, um, she and I both had little babies. We both had 10 month olds and, you know, in all the years at the pay and weight, everybody was perfect. And I had like all these fantasies in my head about how I'd hit lifetime and everybody would come to my meeting and cheer me on and watch me get my key or whatever the heck it was back then. Um, but, um, so, so there was something different there. You know, she, she showed pictures and her pictures were up and down and up and down and up and down. And I suddenly saw that this wasn't funny. Like I, I had kind of thought of it as um, just what women do. Like we just, you know, we diet with our friends and then we binge with our friends and you talk your friends into blowing their diet so you can share dessert or, you know, um, but watching that, just seeing how much of my life had already passed by without, you know, with me using this as the grand preoccupation. What did I eat last night? What am I regretful over last night? What am I going to do today? How am I going to start again? I mean, just the dreariness of that. That, that was the first thing that came to me. Um, and then I started going to a lot of meetings. Okay. My history and program, I've gone to four meetings a week um, when everything was in person. And during the pandemic, I've done at least one meeting a day um, because, wow, it's like so easy. And, um, and you know, I, I, you know, I was like surrounded by people who were clearly not insane. And they were telling me that there was a solution. Okay. There was a solution. I didn't have to live like this anymore that the answer to it was surrender and my powerlessness. Now, nothing of my 12 years in the pan way would have taught me that I had any willpower, okay? Because over time, the diets got shorter and shorter and shorter, and I would build binging into the diets, and then the binging parts got longer and longer. And clearly, I, I wasn't going to solve this, okay? So, um, yeah, so I, I was, you know, we had a lot of different kinds of meetings in Phoenix at the time. And, um, and I remember one of the first things I did was I read Roseanne's book, Beyond Our Wildest Dreams. And, and, um, and I saw that, that, you know, it's really a deal um, between me and the paper and another person and, um, you know, the honesty, a sponsor that I, you know, I was a little bewildered by the how things that were going on and whether I could really qualify unless I went on that food plan. Um, but I never went on it. Okay. I never did. I always have followed um, 
what's inside of me and the form that my disease takes. Okay. Um, so anyway, um, so I got in program and, um, and immediately I got a, a diagnosed with a brain tumor and I'm talking about like less than a year. And I, um, I don't know, I didn't binge over it. I actually just kept losing weight, even while nurses were saying, oh, you don't need to be dieting now and all that. And I, you know, I, um, I knew from getting diagnosed that it would be removable and it was benign and I would live beyond it. So I, um, so I, uh, you know, that's, that was my first test or program. And then the next thing, um, was that I realized that my life had like passed by and I was still working in a job that my ex-husband had picked out for me. And I started taking writing classes. And I mean, I walked in three months after my brain surgery, I walked into a community college class and then, um, and now this is a different life. I'm a writer and I teach memoir and I teach people who are way more educated than me. I mean, with PhDs and everything. And, um, and it's been amazing because it brings together all these parts of me, the 12 step part of me, the um, psychotherapy part of me, the, you know, just so many, the writing part of me, like everything comes together. Um, so anyway, I, um, yeah. And, you know, there's almost no way to summarize 22 years. I do want to say that in, in the pandemic, um, like I've had two weight gains in program and I'm talking about 20 to 25 pounds. Okay. And, um, because my disease will sneak in wherever I leave, like anything, if I leave something, some little hole, a little loophole, you know, my disease will go in there. And in, in the course of going on meetings every single day, I came to realize like what my disease looks like, like what, what is my disease? You know, what does it look like? How do I identify it? And my disease starts in my brain and it, it always has a conversation with foods, right? You know, can I have more of that? Can I have, um, you know, those chips are broken, I'll piece them together, or my husband has to leave me the biggest chips, you know, I only get 12, I need the biggest ones, you know, um, you know, I, I came to realize that I don't want to engage with my disease at all. Like, I don't want to at all. I am, I have a healthy respect and a fear of my disease. I came into program at a time when it was like, this is really important stuff. This is important. If I want to do what I was put on this earth to do, I have to take this really seriously. Um, and then the final thing um, is that last October, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And it was like, I kind of thought that I already had my big disease, <laughs> you know, like, you know, you get one and that's it. But I have to say that I have had a, an amazing program year. I mean, how that could be possible. I had an amazing program year. You know, the morning of my double mastectomy, I listened to a podcast and I wrote the shortest entry in my daily writing that I've ever written. Okay. Because I knew I was going to do it that day. And I was going to do that at the end of the next day. Okay. And I, I did it. I, I, uh, I prioritized my program and, um, and now, you know, I'm living really well. I'm living like, I, I can't, first of all, I'm not sure I would have made it to 62 
if I like to even get breast cancer, which sounds very strange, but I was so sick and debilitated from this disease. Like I could barely walk at 39. Um, so here I am on the other side of this, you know, I'm aware of my mortality program tells me I'm a spiritual being with a physical body. And I believe that wholeheartedly. I believe I have work to do. I also know that I have to live with the risk of, um, is there a cancer cell, you know, running through my bloodstream right now? I don't know. I don't get to know everything and, and it's okay. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I don't mean to be cruel about it, but I think I have about 20 years left and, um, and I want to use those for really good purpose, really good purpose. So, um, I'll continue being here. Um, there, I, you know, there's something, I think that the best qualities that I brought to program is that I am really obstinate and I'm persistent and I'm perseverant and, um, and I insist on my miracle having found out that a miracle was possible um, from other people in the rooms when I was brand new, I felt like, well, if there's miracles being given out, I want my miracle. And I have had it. So thank you. I will stop with that. Uh, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this. We need to share. Please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. Um, Dawn? Hi, thank you. Thank you so much, Dawn, recovering compulsive eater from Portland, Oregon. Um, thank you very much. I got so much out of your lead. Um, I was wondering if you could speak to the issue of body image um, and your recovery around that in program. Um, thank you. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you, Dawn. Um, yeah, body image is part of the newest miracle I got in program in the last two years. Um, I noticed that when I lost the weight I had gained, the second weight gain, that um, I was, oh, I was just running all over the house, looking in the mirror, trying on all the clothes in my closet, you know, um, you know, oh, that's my thin mirror. Oh, that's, that's the mirror, you know, and, um, and I thought, wow, this is like really messed up. Um, because this, it had happened to me every single time that I had gotten to this weight that obviously God wanted for me, because I never would have imagined it. Um, and so, so one day, I realized that, um, like, it's none of my business. Okay, just like, um, you know, it's none of my business what anybody else thinks of me. Um, it's none of my business what's on the scale. And, and that it's none of my business how quick or slow I get the miracle. Um, it is none of my business what I look like. I will never see accurately. Okay. There's no way I'm going to. Okay. I, I, I am basing, like, I'll, I'll just base everything on empirical evidence. You know, I only weigh at doctor's offices and um, I weigh 130. That, that's it. That's thin. Okay. I don't need to look thin to myself in the mirror. Okay. I don't need any of that. Um, you know, because a long time ago, when I would get on the scale, like, 
you know, the scale always had so much power over me, especially before I came in program. But for a long time now, you know, I've always thought, oh, well, if the scale distresses me, I get to think about it for like two seconds. That's it. And there's no requiring like accompanying action to a negative thought. Because I would always, um, you know, I binge because of the scale, I diet because of the scale, you know, now um, it's the same as with the mirror, the mirror, the scale, clothes, all of that. Um, I just don't consider it my business. I, uh, I can't do it. All I can do is work a spiritual program of recovery. That's it. And let the outcomes be the outcomes. I hope that was helpful, Don. Thank you. Um, Raj? Hi, uh, Raj, compulsive reader. Uh, can you just, uh, thank you for your share. Can you just tell me about your daily practice to increase your connection with your higher power? Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Raj. Um, so I'm not a morning person. This is the earliest I've woken up, like since the pandemic. Okay. I did it for Deb, who I love. Anyway, um, so, um, so no, I, I don't, I don't normally wake up and get on my knees. I don't get on my knees, period. Okay. Um, I uh, wake up with uh, abstinent. I do wake up abstinent. I wake up uh, abstinent to the point where I expect to wake up abstinent. This has been a very long time. When I get feelings that aren't abstinent or food thoughts, those feel like alien entries in my brain. So I know right away it requires program action. Um, but I wake up, I normally like connect with my higher power, you know, for a minute there. And then, um, and then I, I get on a meeting probably before right around noon or one o'clock every day. I do writing every day. And the writing is one of the most powerful things I do. Um, you know, about eight years ago, I decided I needed to stop writing here and there, and I need to start writing every day. And so I do write. And sometimes it looks very stupid. Sometimes it's just about what I did today, you know, but in there comes like resentments and comes, um, you know, the little, um, the little nitpicky things that are sticking in my brain. And in there, you know, I find the honesty that I need for my recovery. Um, I follow a food plan. I use um, like a, an app on my phone, but I don't total it out every day. And I don't add it up as I go. Okay. I'm in bed when I put in like my fruit. Okay. So it's three, well, it's barely a breakfast because I hate the morning so much, but let's say, you know, three meals and a fruit. And, um, yeah. And I am so excited about my food every day. Like, yeah, I might be absent, but let me tell you, I love what I eat. There is no missing the food. I don't miss my, the old food. I don't miss the binge foods. As a matter of fact, um, you know, I raised two kids while in program and they had everything in the house and in the car and, and all of that. And, um, you know, when I smell that stuff or see that stuff, um, first of all, most of the time, it just feels like it's, it, it's, it's not edible, like to me, like it almost looks like, you know, instead of um, whatever, like you would celebrate a birthday with, it looks like a pile of shoes. Like I, I don't compute it. It doesn't get through to me. It's, it's simply uh, impossible for me to, but if I do notice it, it just reminds me of my disease. 
Like it really reminds me of my disease. I mean, I'm, I've been known to smell foods and, um, and it's like, yeah, I remember, I remember being 220 pound Linda. I remember being so miserable. I remember not being able to walk through an antique mall and having to sit down constantly. I, I like all of that floods in on me. I don't have amnesia. I have really good memory um, of my disease and, um, and respect for it. So hopefully that helps. Thank you, Raj. Um, Ainsley. Thank you so much for your share. Um, I, I have two questions now because uh, my first question is, how do you stop the disease when it starts to talk? And the second one is, because you mentioned the writing, do you do it at a specific time and do you do a specific amount? Okay, thank you, Ainsley. Um, so first with the writing, I do it um, towards the end of my day. Now I've done several experiments in the years of writing. Um, for about three years, I wrote about a paragraph, paragraph by paragraph of the big book. Like if I traveled, I pasted all that in there so I could find myself like in every paragraph of the big book. And then um, I stopped doing that because yeah, I don't know, sometimes I do like a trial and, you know, I think all knowledge of the big book is good. But after a while, yes, I was every one of those stories. Yes, I was the prostitute without being a prostitute. Like I, I can find myself in everything very easily. Um so now I, I write normally just about what's going on. I always end with five gratitudes that are specific to that day. So this writing normally occurs at night. I'm not allowed to just, um, oh, I'm grateful for my house and I'm grateful for my kids because I, I feel like that starts being a jinxing thing. Like if I don't say those gratitudes, oh my God, what will happen? You know, so no, I'm not allowed to put in these sweeping gratitudes. So it forces me to like live my life each day looking for the gratitudes, right? I'm looking for the five items I'll put in. And sometimes it's more than five, but it's never under five. And um, yeah, so I, I do that with my writing. Um, you know, if I find that I have a resentment right away, I'm, I'm doing the, um, you know, who, what it is I resent, you know, I go right out of the big book, um, how, what it affects, you know, um, which character flaw, blah, 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 you know, all that. Um, as far as what I do when the food thoughts come, um, you know, I guess the most amazing thing that's happened to me in the last two years is that. I stopped engaging with foods that clearly were a problem to me. I don't, I don't know, really. I think, I think I just, when I started my abstinence, you know, almost 22 years ago, I, I, uh, I picked the really egregious items. Like I, I didn't pick them to let go of them. Okay. But I wrote down my binge foods on a list. And I've always said that like my higher power must've just picked up the list and took it up to heaven because I never ate any of that stuff again. Okay. But anything that wasn't on the list, I, I could eat. Okay. So it wasn't like I was eating dessert ever again, or fried food or anything like that. But you know, it was always like really mundane kind of, kind of um, just stupid things like, um, like uh, submarine sandwiches or rice aroni. Okay, if I'm allowed to say foods, um, you know, and, and um one day I had been listening to some podcasts from LA and um, 
I realized I was having a conversation with those foods. Like I wanted to not have a conversation with my food. So I stopped eating recreational bread, which is what I call it because it's, you know, you hear recreational sugar, but literally I will eat something if it's part of my food, but if it just shows up on the table, I don't eat it because I don't want to start my brain ticking. Okay. Because I know what I'll do. I'll start thinking, oh, um, you know, la la la, I'll go on my fitness pal and write down the lowest possible calorie that anybody ever wrote for that in the whole world, you know. Um, I mean, I'm sneaky. I am sneaky. I will do that. And I will do things like demand that my husband give me the biggest chips. Like I'll do that. So, um, so it's been a real miracle to not engage with those foods. And, you know, this program gives me the intuitive knowledge of what they are. Like it, it just, you know, there's just an honesty when I confront one of the foods, it's like, I kind of know already this is, it's just not something I can eat safely. And there's no restriction in it. There's absolutely no restriction. It's actually a wonderful thing to not have to engage with my disease because, um, you know, it'll win every time. And then I'll be going to meetings and saying, well, I think I'm still uh, whatever size, but you know, my pants are stretchy or, you know, whatever. I bought the most spandexy pants I can find. I mean, I will do that. So I don't want to do that anymore. Anyway, I hope that helps Ainsley. I hope that answers it. Thank you. Um, Leah. Share Linda. I got so much out of it and it was really incredible. Um, Question, obviously, uh, do you, can you tell us a little bit about how you sponsor? And then also, can you leave your number in the chat so I can reach out? Cause I just, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. I put it in at first, but if you came on a little later, it might not be in your chat. Um, thank you. Um, I, uh, well, my, two of my sponsees are on here right now. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, um, I'm not, like, I don't impose my rules for myself on anybody. To me, this disease is very unique. Okay. My history with this disease is unique. I, um, you know, what I was taught in program is that, you know, you get to decide what your program is going to look like. My program looks like this. If one of my sponsees, um, you know, can't, you know, whatever, whatever happened to me, like it can't, like it means the disease to them, then great. Let's figure out what, how does your disease talk to you? You know? So, um, I'm sponsoring somebody brand new right now, who's in a different country because of zoom. And it's been really something, you know, just starting over. Like I would say that my favorite part of working the steps is to separate out the clauses of each step. You know, I'm powerless and unmanageable, right? Powerlessness, unmanageability, right? So I have to know what shape and form my disease, what it looks like. Like, how am I even going to know what it is? It's not food. It's not really food. It's really like negative talk. It's really like I'm fat anyway. 
or these pants are tight. Okay. Or, um, you know, because to me, tight clothes is very triggering. Okay. Cause then I think I'm fat anyway. And, um, and so, you know, so the idea is to kind of like, I separate that out. Do you, you know, can you build the biggest foundation you can build? Right. So I would say if anything, I could drive a sponsee crazy with uh, write about things, but I'm not going to tell them to do the same thing I do. No way. You know what? I did not write until I was 14 years in program. And now I'm almost 22. Uh, you know, it took what it took. And it's a journey that to me, everything I've been through can maybe help someone else, you know, and the same thing for my sponsees. Yeah. And I'll put my number in. Thank you, Leah. I hope that helped. Okay. And where are we at? We've got three minutes if somebody wants to ask another question. Oh, Bob M. Oh, and then we'll do Ellie. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was just curious on your second diagnosis with cancer. Did you have a reacted food? At, at the, I understand your program is strong, but did you pity yourself? Did that come into effect? Um, no, I wouldn't say I would say that immediately the program, um, the program idea of uh, not why me, but why not me? Okay. Program has taught me that I'm not immortal. I'm not immortal. God has a plan. I mean, for my life and my death. I mean, I hate to say that, but I do believe it. Um, you know, I was uh, really depressed. I, I got a bout of depression that still has me on antidepressants. And, um, and, you know, I think most of it was not the cancer because when I found out about it, just like with the brain tumor, I knew that it wasn't going to kill me. Okay. It was going to cause me a lot of changes, but not kill me. But, um, but, you know, there were people in my life who didn't step up, including my very best friend of like over 30 years. And, um, and I don't know, I had like this this, um, I mean, I call it a coming to Jesus moment, except that I'm Jewish, but, but it was like my husband, my kids, my uh, best friend, like all of this was like, these are the relationships I've built and no one is here, you know? Um, and so that took, you know, I had to put blame where the blame happened. I did let go of my friend of 30 years, um, because I realized it had all been an illusion for probably two decades, really an illusion. And, um, and I had so much support and love and caring and prayers from program. It was amazing. I mean, I, I felt, I don't know, I felt like me right away, even though I was bandaged up and there was some freaky thing that looked like my chest had been run over by a train or something, you know, um, right away. But there was, um, you know, the program, like my program is like over here and the events of my life, like my mother's death six, six years ago is over here. And, um, and, you know, it's not going to make anything better. I don't want to have two gigantic problems at the same time instead of one, which would be, oh, I'm compulsively overeating. 